It's another day, and another day, maybe, with or without a government, Aaron. It's still to be determined. You know what I'm wondering, and you used to work in Parliament, what on earth are all the other MPs doing while they wait for Christopher Luxon and David Seymour and Winston Peters to sign this deal? What do they do? Do they just, like, walk the halls aimlessly, waiting for the time to pass? Tell me. (laughs) It is such a good question. The new MPs might be doing the Parliament tour. I mean, it's only one hour, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they have the Parliament a... tour 50 times <laughs> once a day to get their steps in. Yeah, the existing MPs are probably chilling at home, relaxing with a martini, maybe spending a bit of time in the electorate office. Uh, but of course, as soon as a government is formed, then they have to report for duty. So I guess they've got their phones on high alert. They're checking out stuff. They're hopefully, hopefully listening to Newsable, fingers crossed. Oh, definitely listening to Newsable. <laughs> <laughs> so... That is really the state of play at the moment, I think, for a lot of MPs because, of course, Christopher Luxon won't have the time to brief all of his national MPs of exactly Mm. what's going on every day. So I imagine some of them will be in the dark just like all of us. Oh, MPs, they're just like us. They don't know anything any more than us. Well, we have an episode of Newsable to keep them company on their tour of Parliament for possibly the 800th time. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. And this is what's worth talking about. Why the holiday season is fast turning into scam season. And the advice from those who know is be more paranoid. The difficulties that Chris Hipkins' call for a ceasefire in Gaza presents to the incoming government. Could the demise of the online supermarket Soupy give a boost to plans for an iwi-backed supermarket venture? And cheesed off why the French are kicking up a stink over how their camembert is packaged. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. It's creeping into that super busy time of year. The calendar's filling up, the emails are flying left, right and centre. So a sneaky text reminding you to collect that New Zealand Post parcel seems entirely expected. But no, do not click. It is a scam. And you can add to the text the phone calls about irregular visas, odd emails about overdue invoices. The list goes on and on. So... Is this build-up a Christmas thing? To talk more about this, we're joined by the head of the Tech Users Association of New Zealand, Craig Young. Kia ora. Kia ora, Aaron. Craig, are scammers taking advantage of this crazy, busy time of year when everyone's just a bit distracted? Look, I think there's two things in play. The first thing is we've seen a general increase in spam activity over the year. But the second thing is they will take advantage of any special event to actually get in there. And Christmas, yep. It's going to be obviously one of those times when scammers will find ways of getting into your inbox. So here's the question that I am constantly wondering about. How do they get hold of our mobile number, or I suppose even easier than that, our email? Yeah, well, we put a lot of stuff online, right? So certainly, if you look at my example, I'm a public figure, and my phone number and my email address are sitting on our website. Um, But there are lots of ways your uh, information can get uh, accessed. The simplest way... It's just you might have put your email address up on LinkedIn. You might have put it uh, on Facebook or something. You might have posted something on Facebook or one of the media sites that links people through to those sorts of things so they can pick it up that way. The other way is there is that on the dark web, you know, these data breaches, et cetera, that have happened. You can buy on the dark web. You can buy email addresses. You can buy uh, Visa credit card numbers and MasterCard, any credit card numbers. Um, and so they can get access that way as well. 
but I think the thing to say is that there are lots of ways that they get it. I think we all have to assume pretty much that unless you've closed yourself down incredibly tightly, they will be able to find your email address. And these aren't like the, uh, quote, invest with me and get a 200% return or something like that, too good to be true scams. I mean, these are pretty everyday, pretty plausible, something which you'd expect the everyday person could say, hey, yep, that relates to me. Well, as you say, you know, we came up to Christmas and uh, there'll be lots of parcels flying around. You know, we do a lot of purchasing online. We can't get something at the store close by, so we go and order it from somewhere else. And so they know that that sort of stuff is happening. So it's a perfect time for them to start sending out those, you have a parcel from NZ Post, we've been unable to deliver it, click here. Well, and I think you've already said, you know, do not click. (laughs) What happens, Craig, if I do click on that, say, update your address, New Zealand Post delivery type scam? Well, let me give you a a perfect example. Um, There is a scam going around at the moment. If you're booking your overseas holiday and using booking.com, there is a hack where um, some scammers have managed to get into the messaging system for booking.com and they'll send you a message saying your credit card has been declined. You need to reinsert it. Click here. And if you click there, which somebody in my family did, it will take you to another website where it asks you to insert your credit card numbers. Now, thankfully, it didn't work. And secondly, our bank picked it up. Um, but in discussing with the bank, we had the person who'd clicked on the link had been put through to a website in Lithuania, which was not where we were going. We were going to Spain. Right, so if I do make that mistake of clicking on something and I realise I've done the wrong thing, what do I do next? If you have clicked, it doesn't matter where you get to in the process, as soon as you think this is not right, just stop. Just go no further on your laptop or your computer and the best thing to do is ring your bank if it's something to do with money. Um, ring your bank and tell them what you've what you've done because they can put a stop on anything. Or you could get in contact with um, CERT, which is cert.gov.t.nz, and let them know as well. But I think the thing is, just stop. Craig Young of the Tech Users Association of New Zealand, thanks so much for joining us. Kakite. Aaron, I feel like I might have been a bit too harsh about Timu products. I'm feeling a bit bad. Really? Yeah, according to according to the Insta poll that we put on yesterday, only 23% of people said what they've bought from Timu is already broken. When when I conducted the survey of me, one for one, 100% of the things I've bought from Timu <laughs> were broken, but maybe not everyone. Maybe I was being too harsh. What's your experience? Have you bought from Timu before? I've never bought anything off Timu. And I must say, disclaimer here, I tend to be wholly sceptical <laughs> of all the things in the World Wide Web that seem to be cheap and too good to be true. But... This could change the game. This is leaving the door open, isn't it? If people say that might not break and you can get your, you know, whatever you want for $2 rather than 20 maybe this is our new future. Remember, we're always after your opinion. So stay across our Insta because we are always there for your hot takes and for your hot reckons. We're on Newsable NZ. Give us a like. The decision by the Labour leader Chris Hipkins to make a statement calling for a ceasefire in Gaza appears to have thrown a cat among the diplomatic pigeons. The call wasn't made as the caretaker Prime Minister, but National has accused Hipkins of playing politics and not consulting them. The Labour leader says he tried to get agreement, which is the time-honoured way with diplomacy in New Zealand, but didn't get an answer. So how easy is it to operate in a bipartisan way with the two sides presenting a united front? Someone who's written 
about working in a bipartisan way in the past is Paul Buchanan, a strategic assessment consultant. Kia ora, Paul. Thanks for having me. New Zealand has always been pretty united in foreign policy. Does this look a bit messy on the international stage? Uh, a little bit, yes. It's it's not going to be of any great consequence in the larger scheme of things, but certainly that the incumbent prime minister, caretaker prime minister as he may be, you know, has clearly made a, made a position that is outside the diplomatic norm, at least for New Zealand. And in doing so, he obviously is playing the role of labor leader trying to appease the other parties on the left that have called for a ceasefire, the Greens and Te Pati Māori in particular. But he's also thrown the gauntlet down for whatever government comes in in the next few weeks to months because he's staked the position, symbolic as it is. You know, the ceasefire uh, will only occur when uh, Israel and Hamas agree to one, and that's not happening anytime soon. But it puts New Zealand, along with several other countries, in calling for this ceasefire, and it puts New Zealand at odds with its traditional allies, like the United States and Australia, which have not done so. So it's a bit mischievous on Mr. Hipkins' part, but it made political sense, I think, to him and his advisors. This country did also present a joint front at the UN and voted in favour of a non-binding resolution calling for a humanitarian truce, didn't they? They did, and that's actually the more practical solution to this this impasse over how to pause the conflict. Humanitarian pauses are informal agreements between the belligerents that are enforced by the belligerents, and that's what's going on in Gaza right now. There are four-hour pauses on the part of the IDF uh, in order to uh, evacuate people and that sort of thing. Ceasefires are very different. They are formal agreements with no time limit between the belligerents that are enforced by third parties. Let's say, for example, the UN. Calling for humanitarian pauses actually has practical effect. And so on that one, New Zealand was wise to join that resolution. How tricky is it maintaining this bipartisan stance at a time like this where you've got a caretaker government, but you've also got the urgency of the conflict in Gaza and other countries taking a stance? Well, I mean, there is a bit of a diplomatic tightrope that has to be walked here because New Zealand maintains good relations with Israel and uh, good relations with Palestine. I think a lot of people are forgetting that Israel is a primary intelligence partner of the Five Eyes Network of which New Zealand belongs. They're first tier intelligence sharing partners. And so New Zealand is not going to want to get offside with the Israelis in spite of what's going on. On the other hand, New Zealand has always had cordial relations with the Palestinian Authority, not necessarily Hamas, but recognizes the right of Palestinians to independence, to their very existence now. And so he's treading a foreign line, but you you said it earlier, he's doing it as the Labour Party leader, not as the prime minister, which I think that's the awkward part. He still is the prime minister. Uh, here, he's acting as the political leader, the leader of a political party, when, quite frankly, to my mind, he still needs to act as the prime minister until such a time as a new government is formed. Strategic Assessment Consultant Paul Buchanan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Coming up in a minute, we'll explain what's got the makers of French camembert cheesed off. But before then, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, especially our chats about cheese, why not give us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform? 
With the demise of the online supermarket Soupy, there is hope that that failure could turn into a boost for a Māori project to establish a new supermarket. The idea is to take on Countdown and Foodstuffs, and there is word on the street that the British chain Iceland could be involved. Stuff's senior business reporter Tom Palastreka has been investigating what's being planned and joins us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. So just to go back all the way to the beginning, remind us a bit about this suggestion to create an iwi-backed supermarket chain. Who's involved? How far down the track is it? It's an idea that's been bubbling away for a couple of years, really, ever since the Commerce Commission decided to investigate the level of competition in, in the sector. Iwi are obviously very heavily involved in the food industry in general around New Zealand. They have about uh, half of the country's fishing quota, uh, heavily involved in the production of lamb and beef and, and dairy. So I think there's always been a sense that there'd be a natural you know, affinity to, to sort of move into the retaining space as well. It now seems to have come together into, into an actual plan, I guess, uh, and that's being driven by Waikato Tainui primarily and also uh, former PwC consultant Tina, Tina Kilmister Blue is, is um, we understand, involved in, in this venture. We understand that they've received a loan of just under $3 million from the uh, Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, to which they've been using to investigate this opportunity. We're aware that there have been discussions with British food uh, supermarket group Iceland as a potential supplier. And I think at the moment they're at the stage of sort of weighing this up. Tom, people might not have heard of Iceland before because it's not kind of one of the big chains that you hear about. It, it's, a U, it's a UK one, isn't it? And they specialise mostly in frozen produce, I believe. So is that kind of what the model might be if it came here? I, Iceland did, did start in uh, very much in a sort of frozen food uh, market. They've grown quite rapidly over the past couple of decades, though. They have about 940 stores in the UK and Europe, and they've they've moved into a broader range of sort of packaged and processed food as, as well as frozen food. So they're, they're not sort of necessarily strong in everything, but they, they certainly wouldn't be the only supplier to this venture. It's just this, this would be an organisation that would fill some of the gap. But what we see to be looking at here is a genuine full-on attempt to set up uh, a third supermarket group to, to take on the big boys. Could Soupy's failure somehow turn into a plus for this next attempt to challenge the big duopoly? Well, clearly it didn't work in Soupy's case. They weren't able to stack it up. So I, I think that is likely to uh, concentrate regulators' minds in particular and politicians' minds on the fact that if they do want to see more competition in the supermarket industry, which they which they clearly do, that uh, there needs to be a sort of another approach, and, and perhaps perhaps this EU venture could could be the right one. How far away do you think this is from being a reality? Because it's a hell of a proposal, the idea that there'd be bricks and mortar stores that would take on those big two. Uh, look, I think it's it's very difficult to say, and I, I think that uh, these discussions perhaps often move more slowly than one would like. At the same time, I think it would probably worth remembering that, that we have uh, a number of advantages that, that could potentially make them faster to act in this space than others. That They have land, uh, in many cases, like Ato Tuanui, which you understand is, is sort of coordinating this project, does have a lot of skills and knowledge in construction. So it's not something that would be sort of 10 years away, what one, one would hope, certainly. But I, I think it'll be... My guess is it'll be sort of probably well into the new year before we really see if this is this is actually going to happen, if people are ready to commit. Don Polistrika, a staff senior reporter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 
Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires. Go the Black Caps. And don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? It what? They don't regulate sock height. I'm sorry. There's a sport that regulates sock height? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. If there's one thing I know about the French, Aaron, and look, I'm sorry that this is stereotyping, but you should never, never get between the French and their cheese. Very, very true. I guess cheese is to the French what, like kiwi onion dip is to us? <laughs> kiwi. Okay, that doesn't make us sound particularly sophisticated, <laughs> but I'm, I'm afraid you're probably right there. <laughs> so someone is actually trying to get between the French and their cheese. Let me explain. It's the European Union, and in an effort to reduce waste, the EU is trying to impose these recycling targets for all packaging, which is going to come into force from 2030, in an effort to reduce waste. Essentially, what they're doing is trying to create a ban on non-recyclable packaging. This sounds very drastic, but admirable, I must say. Yeah, exactly. We all, we all know we need to get rid of the waste, so very admirable. One of the places that they're running into trouble with this is the makers of camembert, because the French... They like to put their cheese in these beautiful wooden round boxes. I don't know if you've seen them. They're gorgeous. Iconic. You might see them in kind of specialty shops. I'm not sure if they show up on your local countdown. But however, to make these boxes fit with the new regulations would be super duper expensive. Like so expensive that they couldn't do it essentially because there's no way to recycle. You'd have to create a whole new recycle chain in order to get rid of these boxes. So the alternative would be to replace them with recycled plastic. And that's not going down too well. So no more. No more fancy cheese boxes. I mean, I don't get them very often, but when I do, it's one of those things that you pull out of the fridge and you go, geez, I'm a bit posh. <laughs> Check me out with my <laughs> cheese box. Exactly. No. So all is not lost because the French are fighting back on this. Some MEPs at the EU Parliament, they've tabled an amendment which would spare the cheese boxes and would spare wooden packaging entirely. However, this could cause a bit of a diplomatic incident because there are MEPs from other countries, i.e. Germany, that are adamant that the rules should stay as they are. Oh, the last thing the world needs right now is a diplomatic crisis over camembert. I think, Jess, everyone should just take it cheesy. Oh, take it cheesy. Aaron, we made it this far without a cheese pun. Actually, I'm quite proud of you. That must have taken quite a bit of restraint. That is News of All for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Aaron Diamond. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you tomorrow. See ya. If you liked listening to this pod... Help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, 
Subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.